And this guy came in and he told my story. Now it wasn't my story, but it was my story. Right. And he was sitting there entertaining people with it. He was laughing and joking about it. Like horrific, horrific details. Um, you know, he was in, in the sex industry and he compromised all of his value system and he was laughing about it. And he was literally laughing about the tragedy that I wanted to kill myself for. I don't know. I think that stranger saved my life. I don't know who he is. I, I never caught his name, but he gave, that was the beginning of my hope that I could get well. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Thriving in Recovery podcast, where we are dedicated to sharing stories of recovered and thriving individuals to empower others on their own path of recovery. I am your host, Justin Harris. My co-host is Bryce Givens. His internet cut out right as we were getting ready to record and he will join us midway through this episode. We are leading off with a powerful story from John Egan. He joins us today to share his story of recovery. From having the seemingly quote-unquote perfect childhood, John shares his struggles with how what is shown on paper may not always be the whole story. John shares with us his journey with drug addiction, living on the streets, his time as a sex worker, and the difference between perception and behavior. Enjoy. Here we go. It's Justin Harris coming uh, normally from Anchorage, Alaska, but I find myself in Las Vegas, Nevada today here with John Egan. And John's somebody I met probably two or three weeks ago. Yep. Uh, Adam Jablin, a, a friend um, in common with mine through Platinum Partnership. And I'm sure, John, you'll share how you know Adam at some point here. But a good friend connected us. I enjoyed your energy on our first Zoom call. And and uh, meanwhile, Bryce and I had started this Thriving and Recovery podcast. Bryce has internet issues right now, so he's not. Even, hopefully, he'll be able to join us at some <laughs> point here on the show. But uh, welcome, John. Thank you for agreeing to do the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Justin. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So um, you know, and when Justin asked me to to come aboard, I you know I kind of asked, well, what do we want to talk about? And he says, well, let's let's talk about the journey, but let's really focus on the solution and, and how we live today. But uh, I guess even to bring perspective, it, uh, I'm a firm believer that it's hard to appreciate the mountaintop if, uh, if you don't describe the valley that you came from. Uh, so essentially, um, I had a absolutely pretty much perfect childhood, or at least what it looked like on paper. I went to the best schools and um, my father did well. And um, I was actually fortunate enough to go to a private prep school. Um, I do share this, that even though my folks never told me I had to be the best, I had this like distorted vision that I needed to be like that. I was more worthy of their love if, if I did excel and uh, my family were great athletes and I was an okay athlete, but because that wasn't going to be my specialty, I really focused on my education and uh, I don't really remember getting a B in anything. Uh, I was a straight A student. I, was, I graduated top of my class. I actually got an academic scholarship to college. Um, and I, I say that not to be pompous or arrogant about it, but what I've come to find is there was a time where uh, my addiction took hold and I remember thinking I'm too smart to be a junkie. Um, and so I tried to outthink it always. Um, and little did I know that addiction is the most cunning foe out there. And uh, it, was an un it was an unbeatable opponent. Uh, however, my mind was playing tricks on me that I could think my way out of it. Um, 
I won't even go into the realms, but I, there for a while, everything was amazing and perfect. I was the life of the party. I had lots of friends. My bank balance was huge. Um, I was I was making six figures at, at 21 years old. I was traveling the world developing software. Then I got into investment banking. Uh, on paper, everything was perfect. Um, the parties were great. The, the drugs were awesome. The drinking was fantastic. Um, and then all of a sudden, I don't. And and so I also say that I I don't want to say there was. I don't want to say like I, I used every single day. Uh, but I can't remember a day I didn't. I was just like, it was a part of my solution to success. Uh, it was just like a like perfect blend of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and everything was great. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I was I was using nasal, I was snorting a lot of cocaine at one point, and my nose stopped working. Um, and my drug dealer asked, told me, well, why don't you shoot it? And I was like, ah, and I, I did it, but I didn't really like the needles. And then he came around and he says, why don't you smoke it? And I said, that might be a good idea. And at this stage of my journey, um, friends and family were on to me. But I was so, I was such a prick that even though my, my friends who cared about me, they'd be like, dude, I think you have a problem. I would look at them and then kind of list of all my accomplishments and say, well, I really don't think I have a problem. Maybe you do. Um, which looking back is so egotistical and offensive, but uh, I really didn't care. I was only out for myself at that moment. And um, so all the ones that loved me, I kind of like pushed away. And then there was a moment that the, my family was on to me, but I did I, I cared about what they thought. So then it was this like big, like manipulation, manipulation of how to get away with it. Um, so I remember I stopped drinking in 2001. And the only reason I stop drinking is because Justin, if you and I are friends and we're out at a bar and you offer me a drink and I tell you, Oh no, no, I gave that up. There's no way you would think that I would have an eight ball in my pocket. Now I did, but like on surface, I wasn't drinking. So no one could possibly know I was still using drugs, but looking back, like my huge pupils and my erratic behavior and nosebleeds and not sleeping and dark circles all gave it away. But I never went back to it. And I share that because when I did find a, a solution of recovery, uh, people would talk about alcoholism. And I was like, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I'm a firm believer that any type of mind altering substance for me today is a no go. Um, so we get back to it. And then I started this in and out of rehabs. Um, everything I built up, I started to give away um, when I started smoking crack. And uh, like I, I didn't look, you know, think of a crackhead. I don't look like a crackhead. Usually people are like, wait, you do, you smoke crack? That was my drug of choice. And um, I slowly gave, actually, I quickly gave everything I had earned away. I remember my car got repo, the house got foreclosed on, um, all the money was gone. I quit the job. Um, and then I started this like in and out of rehab thing. Um, I will share one little bottom just because I believe my best approach to help someone today is that they can relate to the pain I've been in. So they actually can buy into possibly the solution that I have to live in today. Because if you just see me and I'm like, Hey, yeah, you can get better. They're like, who the hell are you? Um, but if we can share the pain, they might be like, all right, I'm listening. So um, there was a time I went out to Phoenix, Arizona. You were talking about Arizona. We were just talking about it. And uh, I went out to get people off my back. And I think at that point, I really wanted to be sober. 
I just didn't really know what that meant. I just thought it was just don't use. And so I went out there and slowly but surely, I started to hang out with people that were pretty detrimental to the concept of what recovery is. A lot of negative behaviors and like talking crap about people and like judging people and thinking that we are better than. And then me and this, I, I always say cool kid, the cool kid in rehab, which if, <laughs> if you're the cool kid in rehab, you got to change your groups. But uh, we decided to go down, we left rehab and we were going to go cop, do what we did. And the plan was to come back and not get caught. Um, and we, we got on a bus and we landed in the middle of Phoenix and we found it right away. We went to a bathroom. We each took a hit. He kind of bugged out. He kind of got all like irky and jerky and got paranoid. And I was like, whoa, I don't, you're going to mess up my high. So he went on his way. And the plan was, I'm just going to finish what I have, come back. And if I got caught, I would say, I'm sorry, give me another shot. Right. And I don't know what happened at that moment, but um, one day became five and a half months on the streets. And um, I learned to survive out there uh, any way possible. Um, everything from panhandling to stealing out of stores. Um, a lady, well, we'll just say uh, uh, there was a lady of the night that walked by and told me I could make money a certain way. And uh, originally I said no, um, but I needed, I needed to use, you know, it was way beyond somebody that, that doesn't struggle with an addiction will never understand what the compulsion to use is. It's, it's, it was almost like I was a puppet and, and I had no, even though I knew I did, I knew it was going to end bad. I could just, I just like found myself. And uh, then I became a sex worker and uh, I compromised every value that I have as a heterosexual man. And, um, and what's wild is if you, when you work in the sex industry, you, you perform horrific acts for money to buy a substance to forget about what you just did for money. But then you come down and you got to do it again, you know, and that became the cycle of hell. Um, I don't know when, but I came to one day and, and it, the other thing I'll mention is I, I never vanished before. I'd always, if I got caught, I always put my tail between my legs and said, sorry, you know, mom, dad, you know, give me another shot. And I didn't even have the decency to call home, you know? So um, I didn't realize that everyone's life stopped for those five months because they, they just thought I was dead, you know? Um, anyhow, I came to and I asked for help. And then uh, I, I always talk about air quotes sober which means I passed all my drug tests, um, which means I was using and not getting caught, right? And I convinced my loved ones that I was sober and I swear I'm going to do it this time. And they flew me home. My sister was getting married and um, my father had a talk with me and my father did very well in his life. And he said, listen, you were always the smartest of my children. I want to give you one more chance. And he was so I look back now, he would always be so, he's so black and white. He's like, listen, the next time you want to use, just don't. And I'm like, all right, dad, I'll try that. I'll try that move. Never tried that one before. Um, and so he gave me a position at his company and I was making six figures again at air quotes, 90 days sober. And I got paid once and I did it again. You know, I did it again. 
and um the shame and horror that was my existence at that life I, the only word i could possibly best describe that feeling was despair um i knew i was killing everyone who loved me and i'm not a sociopath i actually feel bad when i hurt people and um my only decision at that day was to kill myself um mm -hmm. it was so dark justin uh, there was no you know people always talk about oh there's always the glimmer of hope there was there was no flicker of anything it was complete black darkness um life had no meaning people had no meaning if there was a god the hell with him and then also i had this like deep feeling that there was no god like how could there be a god if i have experienced such tragedy and pain even though i fought it on myself but because i'm i sit in self-pity oh the world's out to get me uh and so august 15th of 07 i decided to uh end um and God had a different plan that day. Um, I came to in a hospital and um, that's when my the beginning of this journey started. And so at this you, point- you, you tried to take your life? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, God had a different plan, right? And Amen. I will, yeah. So I remember when I was at Chester County Hospital and they sent me to a place called the Horsham Clinic, which is uh, the local psych ward. And I went there and they took my shoelaces and uh, the psychiatrist told me, he's like, you're not a, you're not crazy. You're a drug addict. <laughs> and I said, I know, I, I know this doc. Thanks. W what do we do about it? And he goes, you need to go to rehab. And I was like, I've been to rehab. I think that shit doesn't work. Right. And I guess Al-Anon, there's a, a, a fellowship called Al-Anon, which is for uh, loved ones of people who struggle. And they taught my, my, my mom and dad like a very simple word. And it was no. Hey, I'm, you know, mind you, I wanted, to go, I wanted to go home. But I was a 30-year-old boy trying to go back to mommy's basement because I had destroyed everything, right? Uh, all of that potential and all those things that I put my value in. Um, <laughs> and they said no. And so, um, I went back to rehab and, uh, while I was there, there was a guy that came in and, um, they bring meetings. It's called hospitals and institutions. And they basically shared their story kind of similar like this, but it's a, it's an anonymous fellowship. And this guy came in and he told my story. Now it wasn't my story, but it was my story. Right. And he was sitting there entertaining people with it. He was laughing joking about it like horrific horrific details um you know he was in, in the sex industry and he compromised all of his value system and he was laughing about it and he was literally laughing about the tragedy that i wanted to kill myself for because no one would ever no one knows right that was this like such a self-distorted belief um and i don't know i think that stranger saved my life i don't know who he is i, I never caught his name but he gave, that was the beginning of my hope that I could get well. I still didn't believe I could, but I hoped that I could. Like there's a difference between him knowing you can get well and hoping you can get well. And I was like, huh, right? And then my like, my, I told my counselor and my counselor's like, you're going to go to Florida. You got some issues. Hey, Bryce. Um, and then, so I landed in Florida to continue my treatment. 
And this is where I realized that my journey took like a little pivot because on paper, I was sober. I was not using or what I thought was sober back then. I, I wasn't using anything, what, you know, not drinking, not smoking, not nothing, nothing mind altering my body. However, all of my behaviors were junky behaviors. You know what I mean? I was lying. I was, I was over compromising and trying and sleeping with as many women as possible to like make up for how manly I, I could be, you know what I mean? Like, the, <laughs> Oh yeah, you heard I did that. Well, not, not anymore. Right. And, um, along the way, it really didn't matter who I hurt. I just really wanted to, um, fill this like inside internal hell. Right. And then I started, I, I needed to make money real fast because I had to like make my dad proud. And so I started working at a company that in the beginning, I didn't know exactly what they were doing, but somewhere along the way, I knew it wasn't legit. And essentially, I was working at a, a scam company while making a lot of money and pretending to be sober, right? And I say pretending because I'm acting like a thief. I'm just not using. Um, and then I met a man who walked with dignity. Um, his, his like feet matched his mouth and like, I wanted what he had. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything material. It's just like sense of confidence and purpose. And just like literally looked like he was free, like free from the, the burden of like Bryce's judgment or like, Hey, I hope Justin likes me. Like he just didn't give a shit. Right. And he was okay with it. And like people loved him because he didn't give a shit. Um, and so I was like, Hey, I was like, I want what you have. Will you help me? And I was standing next to, I was, uh, what, maybe seven months sober. And uh, we were next to my car. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. He's like, you know, give me a call. And I went, I clicked my little button, my unlock button. And it went beep, beep. And he looked down and he goes, is that your car? And I said, yeah. He's like, what do you do for a living? Because here I am, like a hot six, seven months sober with a really fancy car. And so I told him and he goes, Oh yeah, you're a thief. I don't work with thieves. And I was like, I'm not a thief. I'm a software developer. And that was the lie I told myself. Like I developed this program for the scam company, but I wasn't really cheating people. I was just organizing the data. And he told me, no, 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 you're a thief. And he didn't work with thieves. And if I wanted to do something with integrity and principle, I would, right? And so I don't know what it was, but I did end up leaving that company. And um, then my real journey I believe happened. And people always ask me like, what's your sober date? And the easiest way is to put like August 16th of 2007, but it's not really, because I was still a liar, cheating a thief then. So I don't really know when I actually entered recovery, but it was somewhere along that, that path. And, um, I took all the money that I was making and I put myself back into school, um, to be a licensed clinician. Um, and I became a primary therapist at a treatment facility and, um, I got married and had a house and a baby along the way and everything was perfect. And I would actually was the, I was truly free from that obsession to use. And, uh, life was, uh, life was amazing, Justin and Bryce. It was absolutely any, like, it was perfect. Life was perfect. So I thought, and, uh, a car pulled up and I'm five years sober. My firstborn is in the belly. And this guy came out and he says, are you John Thomas Egan? And I'm like, eh, because I always have to, hey, how you doing, right? Like, hey, how are you? What's up? And uh, he handed me a paper that says, you've been served. I was like, what? Now, 
all of that chaos, the, the decades plus of active cocaine use, I never met a cop. <laughs> I met one when I was panhandling. They're like, yo, get out of here. I was like, okay. Uh, but never had no arrest record, nothing, nothing. And here I am five years sober and I open up this paper and it says United States of America versus me. And it was from that company when I was air quote sober again, right? Um, I never had any legal issues, so I didn't even know what was what was what. And I quickly found out that I was, um, so the database that I developed, even after I left, they continued to use it. So the way the government looked at it is even though I wasn't employed by the company, I was still a part of the company, which made me culpable for everything, which was uh, $30 million. Sorry. I'm laughing that it's not funny, especially the victims. I don't mean that. It's just, uh, it's, it's insane amount to even think of. And um, yeah, I was facing 27 years in a prison because of it, federal. Um, and they wanted to go after my wife. And so I took a plea deal uh, and I self-surrendered to prison, a sober man. Uh, and so about five and a half years sober, I walked into prison and I spent the next 35 months locked up from anything I'd ever known. Um, and what was, was wild, the wild, most wild part about it is I walked into prison the freest I'd ever been. Um, you know, like I told you what I used to do for it. Well, I don't even know how much money. It wasn't that much money. <laughs> I was not some like fancy sex worker. Um, I used to do like crazy stuff for five, ten dollars, and here I am facing twenty-seven years, and the thought of drinking and using never crossed my mind. Um, I literally was like placed in a position of, all right, not what I want. And I was, I was, I was living in fear, and I was petrified, especially because my son, um, he he was being born, and well, what's crazy is, yeah, um, God had a plan for me. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people like me that are locked up. And I was able to carry a message of recovery to them. And not, now, mind you, in a perfect world, uh, I wouldn't be in prison carrying a message. Um, well, maybe it is a perfect, in my concept of a perfect world, I wouldn't be in prison carrying a message of recovery. But that's what God needed, you know. And I say God, you know, I've come into terms. It's really the only thing I know to be true today. I used to not believe it existed. And now it's the only thing that I know to be true. And uh it's like the most beautiful, it's the most beautiful thing. Like my pain is my greatest asset. Um, as wild as I meet a ton of men who have compromised their sexual values for money that think they're the only one and want to kill themselves. I've met a lot of people facing legal issues and they don't know how they're going to stay sober. And so like, so that all needed to happen, that it needed to happen for me to be in a place then, man, I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you. Let's do this. Let's, you want to get well? Let's get well. And what's cool is that every time I get to be a service to them, I don't think about myself. Um, so like, yeah. So uh, that was 2007. I don't even know what are, what are we in 2022 now. It's, it's insane to think that. It's, it's insane. It, it's crazy to think. Um, my life is rev has been revolutionized. Um, I kept my license active. I still work in uh, the treatment world, uh, different, a different respect now. I have two boys. Um, 
my new my new wife my, my me and my ex didn't make it through that that those hardships um but thank god because i met along the way when i was getting out of prison um you have to have a an address of record and uh i couldn't go back because my first wife had moved on but i wanted to be with my son of course but i couldn't go back there because i didn't have a house so the the family that said don't come back they welcomed me back to philadelphia and they um i think it was about two weeks before i was getting out i was talking to my sister and i was so excited she's like hey i have something to tell you i was like what and she goes dad's sick i was like what do you mean dad's sick she's like dad's been sick for a bit we just didn't want to like freak you out because you're in prison and i was like how bad is it she goes it's bad um so it's really amazing now is i got to in a remember in a perfect world i'm going back to my son but because that wasn't an option just because of a house to go to god needed me to go back to philadelphia to take care of my dad for the last 15 months of his life um and while i was up there i met my current wife um she's like she's the best oh my gosh she's awesome and um we have our own boy now so i got two boys and what's crazy is my two-year-old every time i see him right my my 10 year old my 10 year old is a spitting image of me uh but my my two-year-old um when he like makes me laugh i have to realize that he doesn't exist without prison like, right it's pretty awesome um and so it was like absolutely uh, this perfect chaos that ended up with this the beautiful peak of the mountain right um but i'm also a firm believer like yes i get to the mountaintop but i get to like look down and be like holy shit, that was a hell of a journey and this is a beautiful life but like there's a new peak to climb and i just don't know what that is but um i do believe that my purpose my purpose in life is kind of directly proportionate to the burdens i carry um you know it's like oh tight life's tough you're like just get through it you'll you'll see why it's tough uh, because my toughest moments have been the greatest asset in order for me to help someone. And that is better than any high I've ever had. Um, the best, best, best gig in town, as my one friend Scotty says. Uh, but along the way, I've met people like Adam, who are also on this path together and like minded people. We speak the same language. We do certain the same things. We have the same interests. And, uh, it's a, it's amazing. We, we come from all walks of life. Um, it's just, it's the best. And the craziest part is I remember seeing people like me when I first got sober and why are you so, why are you so freaking happy? Why are you happy? Right. Um, but it's like genuine. It's why, why not? Life's, life's amazing. Why wouldn't we be happy? Um, cause I'm able to like have this perception change of that all of the chaos is for a reason. So yeah, that's a little bit about my story. I don't know. I don't know if I went too long or too short, but yeah, I'm I'm here to talk about anything that you want. I really I'm really happy that you have this out there because you never know who's listening. Um, like I said, that one guy that that brought that message that was that's a stranger who saved my life, and maybe my voice could be that like beacon of hope for someone to ask for help. Um, I always thought that I was the only one, and somebody. It was, it was, he had a very direct approach to the way he spoke. And I'm like, no one understands. He's like, dude, there's a word for it. You're not the only one. Get over yourself. And I was like, oh, how dare you? <laughs> but it's true. 
it's true. If the word's already been defined, that means somebody else has been through that, whatever experience is. Um, and so, yeah, like tons of sex workers out there. There's tons of people that have tried to commit suicide. There's tons of people that have gone to prison sober. Um, like I'm not the only one, but that's why, that's why I'm very vocal about my past. I don't carry shame from it. If you guys think it, that's, that's on you. That's not on me. So yeah, it's a little about, about what happened with me. Yeah, thank you. You've been very honest about, I'm like <laughs> blow, blown away at some of the things that you've already shared. And in our first conversation, you talked a lot about your mom and I've certainly oh, yeah. had, um, you know, an up and down relationship with my mom. And actually I, you had asked me before we even started recording, Hey, are you in recovery? And I said, no. Um, but I was on the opposite side of recovery. I, I sold cocaine for lots of years and crack and ended up going to federal prison for 50 months for doing that. And one of the things my mom shared with me, I call her every Tuesday and oftentimes more times in the week, but for sure every Tuesday. And this last Tuesday, she shared with me the scaredest she's ever been in her life was during my arraignment and them reading the United States of America versus Justin Harris. She's like, she said she was glad she was sitting down because she'd have fell down, you know, hearing yeah. those words. So um, I definitely resonate with that with you. And I would love for you to talk about your mom. You, you, in our first conversation, you talked, I, I, I was, you were keenly aware of the, the, the damage, if you will, that you caused to your, your mom specifically and probably yeah. to your whole family. I, I'd love yeah. for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, even that, even that word that I was keenly aware of the damage I did uh, in my own selfish mind, I try to comprehend what it would be like from an empathy standpoint. But the reality is I will never, ever really know what it's like. I have, I have my two that are in the other room. And like when one of them's sick, my, my heart just like stops. And that's just because like they have a cough or they have the fever. Um, I couldn't possibly imagine not knowing if I didn't know where my boys were for five minutes. Like, where are the kids? And we can't find them. Like, uh, like my life just stopped. My life literally just stopped. And now I have to imagine what that's like for five months. Wow. Yeah. Right? Um, no, I'll never, I'll never really know. Um, my mom and I have always shared a bond. Um, but I definitely, I think, I think I aged her. She's a very, she's a very dynamic uh, extrovert. Uh, but I think I definitely like, I will share this because I know this came up. I don't know if she said it or my sister told me, but my mom was one of those that she always went to church and her faith was very strong. Um, but I know that I made her question God. Mm. Like I question God and I don't realize that my addiction makes other people question God. Right. Because, oh, God, I'm getting goosebumps because it really is like um, it, and if that if that's something you believe in or think take something that, you know, take any any person think like you're listening right now. Tell me what you know, absolutely to be true to the nth degree, whatever that is. Right. And now have someone else affect that and make you doubt that that is a that is a your whole world gets flipped upside down. Everything you thought to be true is now you have to question every person's motives, like every. That's a, that's a whole lot. That's like shaking. <laughs> it's like, oh, here's your house. And it's like shaking it and be like, oh yeah, now deal with it. Like, but that's like their foundation of what they, like their safety, like their security in life. 
the whole foundation has been sh has been shooken because of my selfish decisions. You know, um, there is another thing. Uh, <laughs> I say uh, hum I, I use humor. I don't think it's some people say it's a defense mechanism. I just find things, but I can either laugh or cry. But um, my mom says, you couldn't kill me in your active addiction. You know, she says, you tried. Um, my mother had a heart attack when she was witnessing me pick up my one-year med <laughs> one medallion. <laughs> and I mean, so like my, my anniversary of my sobriety is my mom, like one year later is my mom's anniversary of her heart attack. So it's literally like she saw me sober. Her heart just like, nope, that, that can't be real. <laughs> just stop. And luckily, she obviously she made it through. But um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, every time, every year I celebrate. She's like, remember? And I was like, yes, mom, I remember. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, but maybe one day we'll do this and we'll get her story. Her version. Yeah, I like that idea you brought in and obviously didn't happen this time and whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. But yeah, I would love yeah. to hear. I would love to hear the story from your mom's perspective because I'm sure it's quite a bit different than than Isn't that wild while people live like literally next to you experiencing the same situation have a completely different perception of the truth? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think way too many times, and it really is just like my experience and my belief system is dictated my perception of reality, but it doesn't mean it's true, true, right? Because I have a lot of distorted thoughts. Um, but I can, can become open-minded and listen to someone else's when I'm willing to listen to them. Usually I, I want, like if Bryce and I, we argue about, I mean, if I put the number, if we're standing next to each other and I drop the number nine down, Bryce would be like, no, that's a six. And I'm like, Bryce, you're an idiot. That's a nine. And he's like, no, you're an idiot. It's a six. And we're both right, right? Um, but the reality is I could spend my whole life trying to convince Bryce my point of view, but I'm not that powerful. Uh, the only way I can actually possibly is if I make the opportunity to go over to see his point of view or he does the same, right? But it really takes the person who believes to be open-minded to another perception to actually now change their altered perception. So, and I love what you were talking about earlier is, is with the pain piece and, and using that to help people. And what I wrote down was pain is the bridge to connecting people, to connecting with people to, to help them with their recovery. Mm -hmm. I think that was beautifully stated. You've used, mm -hmm. uh, you've used sobriety a number of times, and then you've also talked about being in recovery. And um, I think those are two different things. And it sounds like based on the way you, you're using the words that they're two different things. What do you think is the difference between the two? Um, putting the drink and the drug down as horrific or scary as that might sound to someone. Uh, even people like, I, I don't even know how I could do that. This is just a part of who I am. It's what I do. Putting that down is probably the easiest piece of recovery. Um, changing your whole perception and outlook on life. That's what I believe the journey of recovery is. Um, living by, by a new set of principles. 
when I am trying to get loaded, even without, it's usually like my needs are number one. I want this. I want that. I want you to think the way I do and do what I want to do. And, you know, like, it, it's crazy how, how selfish we can become. Um, you know, even just with your, your, your loved ones, they, Hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? They're like pizza. And I'm like, well, I worked out today. I want to eat something healthy. Like, like selfishly, that's what I want. Like, but in a better world, I'm like, hey, let's go get some freaking pizza. I'll be okay. Um, so I think I'm truly walking a path of recovery is when other people's needs come before mine. And, uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's hard because I'm just inherently selfish. I always thinking about what's best for me and what I want. It's really like what, what we're, what's what we're great at doing is talking about what we know the most, which is us. Um, but there's this new lifestyle that when we put other people's needs ahead of ours, the, it becomes such more of, I don't think of the word, like more of a, a purpose-driven life, right? It's just a more, uh, it's almost hard to put into words because it's, it's so spiritual in nature. Spe I mean, to me, spirituality is just connecting to something other than myself. So if I, I'm like hanging with Bryce and I'm like talking to him about his life and his needs and how can I be helpful, to me, that's a spiritual thing. Um, I, that happens with music and art and landscapes and whatever. Um, but that's to me is that's where this God concept lies is like when Bryce or you and I are talking, I think that's, that's when God comes in and does his magic. Um, but when I'm by myself, all I really ever do is think about myself. So I like to actually be of service to other people. And I, I feel like that places me in, like, I don't, why would I need any, why would I need anything outside of myself to feel internally whole at that point? That is the, the sense of true meaning, right? Uh, if I need anything outside of myself, drugs, validation, I think I'm like missing the point of life. So. And it seems like you've committed your life to being in service to other people that are in recovery. Is I mean, that's the sense I'm getting in, in, in talking to you. You haven't talked directly about what you do for work now. Um, Sean, talk yeah. a little bit for us. Um, if you, and if I hope I, I'm going to keep what I do out of this just because okay. I don't ever want to pollute those waters. Um, I'm in a position where, how do I put it? So at my job, I get paid for that. So, mm. right. So I, I, sometimes I'm, what I do is not only driven by helping people, but also like I, I have a lifestyle that I have because of that recovery, everything I do for recovery, even though it's like an umbrella of a lifestyle, but that's all free. Like I, I help people for free um, and I know when to put the hat on, right? Um, like as a, as a clinician, so I have guy, uh, we'll put it this way. As a clinician, I have clients and I could, I talk to them as clients and there's a certain boundary that I have to maintain. We're not friends. I'm the therapist and you're the client. And then outside of that, I have my people in recovery that I help and uh, they're not my clients. They're people I'm trying to help. Um, and so like I have to navigate and strictly maintain that boundary. I, I see a lot of people get sober and they want to help people. And then they get, it gets a little polluted because they get paid to help people. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage anyone, but it can get very, very muddy. So it, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I, I work in the field, but 
uh, what we're talking about, this is more just like what I do in life, life. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And I yeah. totally respect that. For sure. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to maybe describe it best, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you've been sober since 2007 and in recovery for some period of time, less than that. Uh, when, when did you make the shift and, and, and how did that happen? Um, I think it probably happened when I followed the guidance of someone else who knew better, even though this guy was a stranger. And I just kind of said like, help, help me, you know? And when you ask for help, I think that it's one day it's great to ask for help. It's another thing to actually allow yourself to be helped. You know, there's a lot of times you feel like, Oh, help me. And then they try to help you like, no, no, not that way. <laughs> not that way. This is how I want you to help me. I want your money. <laughs> I'm starving. Help me. Oh, here's a job. No, 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 no. I don't want a job. I want the money. And then I'll go spend it how I want. Uh, but like, this was, I, I asked for help and this guy was going to help me the way that somebody helped him. And uh, I think that's when I entered the path when uh, I hate saying this word, if I use this word, I'm out of it, but I'll say uh, humility comes when I know, when I can admit that I don't know what's best. If I'm allowed to be teachable, then I can be in a state of humility. However, it's hard to remain in humility when you're talking about humility, right? Like, let me tell you how humble I am. That's so you can't say the word humility and actually be humble, but yeah, to learn humility is that like, I don't have all the answers. Please help me. And then listen to that guidance. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if you surrendered. You, you didn't surrender before you wanted help, but you wanted help your way as opposed to just surrendering and saying, help me uh, like whatever that looks like help me yeah there, there's a, a metaphor and analogy that they use a lot it's uh you know it's a boxing ring and your addiction is your foe and uh every time you get in the ring you get your ass knocked out some people die you know the reality is a lot of people die from this um More some people will, yeah some people will get knocked out leave the ring and be like wow that sucked and then the next day they climb back in the ring. It's like, you know, you know, it's the same person you're fighting. You know, it's the same foe, but like, no, no, it's different now. Now I know what, now he throws the right hook. I just got to dodge that right hook. And this, you know, realize this guy's got a left hook too. And uh, God, I must've been knocked down hundreds of times and not realizing that I'm going to continue to get knocked down every time I get in that ring. And then one day I stopped getting in the ring. And so that's like putting it down. I stopped getting in the ring. However, what I realized is that the way I conduct my life, actually I'm trying to admit, it might be a little uh, metaphysical, but if I start acting like a scumbag and pretending to be sober, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the ring, you know? And I didn't, even, I didn't even realize I was in the ring that like addiction is really waiting for all of those behaviors that go with it too. So yeah, once I, once I surrendered and said, you know what, all right, you win, you kick my ass. Uh, but now like, how do I stop getting in the ring is becomes the main issue. And that's where I think recovery is. That's so what, are some things, what are some things that you do, John, to help you do that? Like, what do you, how do you raise your self-awareness like in real time to help prevent you from getting into that space? Sure. Uh, a lot of, so my, my path 
of wellness is a specific path. Um, it's an anonymous path that I will just leave at that, but it involves a lot of uh, seeking God's purpose for me, uh, a lot of prayer as to like, because remember, I'm always thinking about myself. So praying for the thought of how to be of maximum service to someone else. Um, kind of, I guess it really, I, I use this as a good gauge, um, traffic. So I was taught, I always, I was raised to pray, right? And I used to be like, dear God, and I was, I was raised in a certain religion. I have a different faith now, but I used to be like, dear God, get me, give me this, 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 this is what I want. Thank you. Love you. Rock on. Right. Um, and I realized that I was always praying for what I should do. Right. And then I met a, a man in recovery and he told me that we're human beings, not human doings. So why don't you pray for what you should be and then just sit back and wait for the opportunity. So um, in the morning, I pray, God, what will you have me be today? And then I, I've, I've learned to meditate. I, I stink at it because I'm very hyperverbal and my brain's always going. But usually it's always some sort of beautiful principle that is just on on papers like wow that like tolerant like a truly tolerant person or patient or loving caring um it's always been something beautiful and optimistic like that so say i i pray and it, they tell me and, and i listen I, I meditate and it says be patient today okay now i go about my day and um i get in my car and i'm driving to work and i hit traffic I could flip out and honk my horn and curse and I don't these people know where I'm going to go or I could have a God moment and be like, hey, uh, knucklehead, guess what this is an opportunity for, right? And so tra like now I'm getting goosebumps. Traffic now is my prayer being answered. And when you're in that moment, right, and you're sitting in, in traffic and you feel this presence of God or this power, this, this good, right, in the world, you look over and you see this guy like <laughs> smiling, healing traffic. Like, what the hell is this? Guy? Is that guy high over there? It's like, no, no. I, I prayed to be. I prayed for patience, and here's my chance to live it. Right. And so when I get to have that like moment of clarity, um, I really feel like a, a, a place of uh, this. The world's a beautiful place when you're like that. Right. So if uh, if I'm driving and someone cuts me off, and my first thought is. I'll go give him a Philly hello, right? Which is, you know, hungry, right? Um, or my first thought is that, God, they must be in a rush to get somewhere. I know how aligned I am, right? And sometimes I want to I wanna flick them off, but other times I'm like, all right, go on, buddy, right? What's the rush? And what, what's it matter? Every, everyone's in a rush to go nowhere, it seems, you know? <laughs> then you end up like pulling next, next to him at the red light. You'd be like, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but uh yeah i guess i guess a lot a lot of a lot of prayer and meditation yeah that's awesome that brings up uh you know i use that analogy all the time my fiance i used to struggle with that same thing uh, especially traffic and uh she's like just look at it like this that person really has to take a poop right yeah, and so now I've started to apply that to ever to a lot of things, you know. And then that is kind of the trigger for me that gets me back to like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to practice acceptance, radical radical acceptance, um, and understand that this is a moment for me to learn and grow. So that's super cool that 
uh, you have that, you have that same yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, there, there is, uh, through this journey, I've, um, especially when I was in prison, I got to analyze or really, when you're away from everything and every, everything that you know and everyone that you love and you're literally just alone. Um, prison is the loneliest place where you're never alone. Does that makes sense. You, uh, Justin knows. I, you just want to be like, oh my God. We all know. So, so oh, you're, right too. Yeah. Oh, you're, 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 you're a criminal too, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, while I was in there, there was this, in, there was a couple incidents that happened that made me um, question and reassess what these principles that I said I lived by, right? So, in recovery, I try to be loving and forgiving and respectful and patient and kind and tolerant and right giving and all that. And it's great. It's great lip service, right? Oh, look at, look at how giving you are. But I realized up until that point, all of those principles that I said I lived by and were like trying to help people live by, you know, because at that point I was trying to help people. I didn't realize that every principle I'd ever spoken about had a condition on it, right? So like, uh, Justin, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me, right? So I'm a kind person. Kind is a nice spiritual principle, but I realize it's a conditional principle. Um, Bryce, you might, you might F me over and I'll forgive you if you ask for it, right? And so what I realized is that all these principles that, that I lived by were actually conditional principles and they weren't principles at all. They were like a selfish twist of look at what I am, but in all actuality, I'm still holding on to like, so um, now I try to like forgive period, love period, respect period. Um, and what's cool is my wife's in the other room and she's the most beautiful creature in the world. She has a, her person. I don't even know how she deals with me, um, but it's easy to love her. I love you, babe. I love you too. Right. And I really mean that. Right. But that's this like definition of love and it's, it's all encompassing. It's as big as it, it could be. Um, and here I have uh, a person that bothers the hell out of me. I find them abrasive. I find their voice annoying. I find every belief they have to be offensive. How do I love them? And so my capacity to love has to be defined by the person I don't like, not by the person that's easy to love. So if I want to say I'm loving, then define me by my enemy, not by my friend, right? Um, and it's like, wow, I get a lot of goosebumps because those people that bother you really are an opportunity for you to expand your capacity to be right. And just like that. What are you going to be today? Uh, so <laughs> the loud person at the deli, you know, <laughs> or the person who just took your parking spot or the person who has the exact polar opposite view of whatever you believe to be true. then like they're the best thing in the world. Because then it allows you to be a bigger, better human on this planet, right? So, what are the things hey. that you're? What are the things that you're telling yourself in real time when you're having those thoughts or you're you're having this emotional response? Like, what is it? Have you just practiced it over time, and so now because of that practice, because of that self-awareness, um, 
has it allowed you to really just like notice and then take part and then buy into that belief system? Um, or what is it for you that uh, gives you that, that edge, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, and mind you, yeah, I'm, I, I fail at this nonstop because, uh, yeah, am I, uh, we have a, we have a, uh, <laughs> we have a, a beautiful dog. Her name, her name's Bowie. And then we decided we were going to get Bowie a friend and we got Ziggy. So we adopted a puppy and oh. <laughs> Ziggy, yeah, so Z I'll let the door out and Ziggy will go outside and pee and then I'll let her back in and she'll pee right in front of you. And I'm like, what? Like, oh, and I have this, like I have this temper that flares up because I should only just let you out. And then like when you try to like reprimand her, then she pees some more or pee, pee him, right? You pee when you try, no, don't do that. Then more, yeah. So yeah, in those moments, no, I, I, I flaw. I flaw often. Um, but when I come across somebody that bothers me, I have, you know, some set aside prayers that I do, or most likely that morning I was told to be kind and loving and patient and an opportunity to grow. And when that happens, then it's a blessing. Then I can view it as a blessing. Uh, now the person that drives me crazy, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, and every, everyone has their own demon. Everyone has their own sickness. Everyone has, um, like is there a book i don't see a book but like uh if i like i met you today bryce for the first time um i know this much of your story i know the story that you've let me know but like there's probably a whole 50 other chapters of that have made you who you are and it's only if i like ask you about that or you feel comfortable to tell me so i only know the part that you're showing me and every person has that some people have been through some horrific wicked relationships uh, some experiences that have tainted their vision about what life is. Um, there's people that think the world's an evil place. And I'm sitting here hop, skipping, farting rainbows that the world's beautiful. Well, they're, they're not going to like me <laughs> just on death. But uh, if, I'm, if I look at a miserable person over there, if I get to the place like, oh, I wonder what happened that made them like that, right? Now I'm in a place of like understanding and like, how can I help you, right? Um, so really, I guess it, I guess it, if I'm in a place of understanding, then I'm I'm more helpful to the people that bother me. I guess. I love that. You know, it, uh, it just reminded me of like the whole reason why uh, I, I'm getting into the treatment space. I mean, I have sober living houses, and that's kind of another story. Um, but getting into the treatment is like. I really want to, and this has come up a few times in just you talking, but like connect with the humanity of people. And so that's what I hear you saying. And that's the message that I got from you. It's just like remembering that they're human and that they yeah. do not worry and being able to connect with them on that level. So that's super duper cool. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for anyone that gets into a space or is around or anyone listening that might have a loved one that struggles, I say it with, I say it with tongue in cheek just because I find the comedy in it, but the reality can be tragic. Um, sometimes somebody will say, say I have a friend who's, I don't know, uh, has a, a sister that's strung out of heroin, right? And he calls me, I'll be like, you'll never believe. I'm like, what? She left the baby in the car to cop. Uh huh. That's what she's supposed to do. Oh my God, he, did you believe he robbed a bank? Yes. Do you believe they're driving home drunk? Yep. 
oh my God, they got loaded before the wedding and ruined the ceremony. That seems about right. right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why we get, we get so shocked. Drunk people do drunk things and, and it doesn't, I'm, I'm not like taking, some of it is horrific. I'm not taking that part of way of it, but if you start to know that that's par for the course, like then it takes away from this, like, oh, I hate them because of this. Um, I'm so used to hearing tragic experiences and I have to realize that some of these families and loved ones, they just, they think it's so unique. Like, oh my God, he, he stole my necklace. Well, oh, you left it out? Yeah, because if I if I was in the midst of my addiction and your necklace is there, I'm I'm stealing it, and then I'm gonna blame your neighbor. I know, I think Joey was in here. <laughs> I think I saw Joey take it. Give me some money, I'll go get it back from you know like, and then I double rob him, right? Um, but yeah, so start I'm starting to understand that like fish swim and birds fly and alcoholics drink and drug addicts use drugs and uh, it alters their sense of what's right and wrong. Um, they need it. They need it. And they're going to do anything to get it. You know, I, like I said, I, I shared a little bit about how I violated my value system, but the, 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 when the obsession to use is on, there's literally nothing I wouldn't do. And I, I remember I was, I was really hurting. I like, think the thought was like, well, I could kill him. And I'm like, I, I don't want to kill it. I don't want to kill anyone, but I could kill him. Right. That's a, that's a dark spot. You know, and people get to those places. Like I need, I need that. There's more than air. I need that right now. Um, and understanding that, you start to realize why people do what they do and why they steal and rob and hold people hostage and all the tragedies of the life. Um, but at least it places me in a place of understanding to be able to help them. Because I don't, I don't care. Oh my God, I, I, I killed someone in a vehicular homicide. Okay, how can I help you? Right, uh, like. God, I don't know how you, that's, that's a tragedy, right? But you can get better from that and doesn't take away what they did to the other people, but doesn't mean that their life is destined for hell, you know? So. I think when, when people feel judged or when we judge other people, we're, we're trading in our ability to influence them. And if you can come alongside them and say, hey, me too, I've been there. I understand where you, the pain you talk about being the bridge to connection. Yeah. If you can truly empathize with people and see them and not judge them, then I think you have a shot at, at influencing and helping them. But if you're judging them, you don't, you don't have a chance. Yeah. I said this on, it was actually, a, I think it was a, some sort of show, some podcast, but I said it. And then when I, I got off, I was like, Oh crap, I hope I don't cause a ruckus. But I think uh, recovery, I'm going to be careful. Recovery was one of the first me too movements. You know, and this doesn't take away from the power of that Me Too, the Me Too influence of Hollywood and, and all that with men and women and misogyny and all that. But, you know, somebody, uh, and I stole my grandmom's pills on her deathbed. Yeah, Me Too, man. Right? They now know that they're not the only one and that if I'm sitting here free, then maybe I could possibly help them. So yeah, that me, me too is the antidote to shame, right? Mm. Yeah. And I, I think unless you've, unless you can really say me too, like you've really done the things, you've really done horrific things to people to, to, to get what you want. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to understand that. It's hard for somebody's sister to understand that he stole my thing or he stole my money or he robbed me. 
right? If they've never been in a position to do whatever it takes to cop or get that next high, it's, that's a really hard thing to, it's a really hard thing to, I think, put your arms around. Yeah. I think, I think, um, people that struggle with substance use and alcohol and addiction, like they're just on the forefront of horrific actions, but every human being has done a horrific action. Uh, so some of them have been kept secret. Um, you know, who knows what people actually are thinking or doing behind closed doors. Um, but yeah, people just as humans, we're all capable of horror, uh, or being that like a monster, um, but like addicts and alcoholics, they're like broadcast as the monster. The reality is they're just, their actions are just in front of everyone. So, but everyone, yeah, everyone has the capacity to hurt. Um, that also means that we're all able to help too, right? That's the, monster, the other side of one, the coin. One monster helping another monster. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I've, I've got a confession to make. I had one of those conditional <laughs> situations with the, um, <laughs> The, the driving, right? I had a friend a long time ago that he got road rage. Like he'd pull over and want to fight and all kinds of stuff. If anybody just cut him off in traffic and I'm like, man, I can't live my life that way. So I, I let people in. If somebody wants in, no problem. I wave to you if you cut me off in my car, but on my bicycle, uh, Bryce and I both share a love of triathlon. So I spend a lot of time on my road bike and yeah. people like honk at you, cut you off. And I'm the first one to give them the bird. And, and I realized it was, it was earlier this year that I realized yeah. I was doing this in my life. And I'm like, man, I got to let that go because I don't, I, I guess on my bike, I feel exposed. And in my big truck, I, I don't for some reason, or in my yeah. car, I don't, but I caught myself early this year. I'm like, wow, who's, who's this guy that's giving this guy the bird. Cause he's a little too close to you in the roundabout. Yeah. Um, yeah and then especially i'm flipping people off and they're in a big truck and i'm like exposed like what if what if i set them off and they run me over or something like yeah. that so what one i try to stay off the roads and mostly on the trail system but two if i'm on the roads i just i yeah. try to just let it oh, let no, it go. part of my recovery journey is, is uh is taking a look at my peace and all of the hell that is my life and um uh, there was one I'll share. So there was this pattern of, of girls that I dated in the past and each one betrayed me in their own certain way. Right. And so, you know, when people are like, well, what do you think these girls have in common? I'm like, they're all bleep, 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 you know, the color of the colorful language, or they, they all cheated or whatever, whatever that little, right. And, uh, they also, they have, they have something in common. Me. If you know what's in common, me. I am a part of every conflict I've ever had. So maybe, just maybe, I'm not all that I think I am in a relationship. Like maybe I'm not that dateable. <laughs> Holy crap, what a novel idea. And the fact that I was usually leaving them to go get drunk or high, yeah, yeah, of course you're supposed to leave me. But like when I'm sitting self-pity, like, oh, how dare you leave me? I was the best boyfriend. No, I wasn't. I was a selfish piece of shit. Um, and so it's cool is like when I start to look at my part, well, then I can't even carry resentment at them because I would have done the same. You know, if I'm in a relationship and that person's never present emotionally and or physically, it's only a matter of time before I, I leave. Um, however, my story used to be like, oh, all these people left me, poor me. Now I push them away. I push them all away. Um, and it's cool. Like when I take accountability for my piece and all of my parts, um, 
I could be free of that negative emotion towards them, right? So that reminds me of I, this keeps coming up, and uh, you know, you keep talking about accountability and responsibility and ownership, and like I keep thinking of Jocko Williams' extreme ownership, um, and my impression of you is that uh, just in the short time that I've heard you talk, that you really focus on taking extreme ownership of your life uh, and you have in your path in recovery. And now you're able to share that with other people um, from a spiritual component. Like when we look at like the holistic thriving and recovery approach that your spiritual component is like rock solid. What, uh, you know, we talked briefly, Justin brought up that we like to do triathlon. You look like a very fit individual what are the things that you're doing physically and mentally to help align you with that spiritual path that you're on as well? So I've done a lot. Yeah. So I am the type, uh, my wife will, she'll laugh. So I'm the type that I do hit training six or seven days a week religiously. Um, and now on, and now I, I say this and people here, they're like, Oh my God. And I'm 45. Like I'm, I'm not 20. I'm not, I'm, I'm no spring look chicken. 20. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Crack, a crack and heroin preserve the face. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Don't do, boys and girls, do not smoke crack. Do not shoot heroin. Um, but like, so I'm very, my day is usually contingent upon, did I get some physical release? And so it's part of my meditation practice is to get that energy out. But if we're actually going to be truly uh, honest and vulnerable about this, uh, before I ever found drugs, um, I was, I was a little overweight as a child, right? And there was, I wasn't, in my, uh, in my perception, I was fat. I was never fat. I was just a little out of shape. And my family all had like washboard abs, right? And I remember a family member like grabbed, I don't know, maybe I was like seven or eight, grabbed a love, a love handle. But I was like eight years old. I can still feel his hands there, right? So what's wild is I struggled with an eating disorder in my team and I found cocaine later in life. And when you do cocaine, you don't eat. So like, was my addiction stemmed from an eating disorder, this like distorted sense of my body? Um, and I always have to keep in, in line that, yes, it's very healthy to be active and eat right and all of that. Or... Are you still covering up for a sense of not being okay, right? In your body. Um, so people that literally like want to crawl out of their skin, I know what that feels like too, um, which is, which is wild because drugs work, right? When I'm high, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what I look like when I'm high. I, I don't care. And then I come down and not only the shame and the guilt and the horror and all that. And then you're like, Ugh, look at you. <laughs> You look at the mirror like, oh, 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 look at you. So, um, so I've had this, this whole journey of being comfortable. And I could honestly say today I am comfortable, but I also, why do I need to work out six days a week? Um, so I get, why don't we pause that and come back in a year or two and see how I'm doing. But yeah, that's, that's probably the area that I'm, I'm working on now is, is finding that true balance. Um, I'll just share this that beautiful woman who is my wife when I'm off 
or first thing is, babe, go to the gym. So is it a healthy, is it, is it better than smoking crack? Yes. Is it, maybe there's something to look at that though, right? So yeah, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys can relate to the need to get that, right? Because people like that natural endorphin high is, is great. But yeah, anything out of, uh, out of balance can become problematic. I can speak for myself, but I mean, I'm sure Justin struggles with this too. Uh, or I don't, I don't know if he does or not, but I can directly relate with that. And I'm the exact same way. Um, so how do you mentally um, frame that? Because, you know, you, we're always playing this game of, you know, opportunity cost and putting energy here or there. And, and yes, getting a payoff. Um, how do you frame that from a balanced perspective? Because I do struggle with that to a T. And, and I maybe haven't put enough thought and energy and effort into thinking about it from that perspective that you shared. And I think there's something there. Um, well, very similar to being in traffic and go right ahead or how dare you. Um, I think I always know there's times that I'm working out. And I'm like, good. Yeah. I got to go work out. And then there's times that I need to work out because I feel not as in shape. That's not a healthy place. Right. Because ask anyone who gets the, you know, I bring her up, but my wife really the only person in this world that sees me unclothed on a regular basis. Um, she's always like, up, oh, you look the same. And I've been, I've been 175 pounds since, my, I was 21 and the only time I was less is when I was on the streets, I was 136 pounds. So like I shit, <laughs> I look good. I look real good. Um, but yeah, that's what happens when you don't have food, but, um, given yeah, up my 175 is that's what I'm always 175, but I think I look different all the time. So really, it really, I mean, very similar. It could be on a daily basis if, it, if it's healthy or not. Like today I feel that it's very healthy. Uh, but Maybe like last week it wasn't, you know, so. So it's a work in progress. We are always a work in progress. As soon as I think okay. that I've, I've resolved something. Right. All right. What do we got next? Right. right. It's uh, similar to that. You get to the mountaintop, but realize there's a new, that's the burden, right? That's the burden that you're going to carry. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it fun. That's what keeps yeah. it interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think if everything was handed to me, I'd spoil that somehow. Right? It's the it's the exertion through the challenge that makes the it's like you cross the finish line after a triathlon. It's not it's not the ten yards running into the tape. It literally is the blood, sweat, and tears to get there. And then you get through, and you're like oh, this overwhelming sense of exhilaration not because you finished the race but because of what what the race was right not the, the ticker tape that's or what sorry not the ticker tape the tape that you go through is really god that's not even it, it really doesn't matter what that is it's what did you have to do to get to this point because it was easy it was all downhill <laughs> like cool all right what's next right what after that you'd be like Take, I'm going to take it and I'm going to enjoy this one for a little bit. So, yeah, I don't think there's too many people that can fake their way through an Ironman. It's a, um, 
It's a lot more than just that day, right? It's the year leading up to that day. And sure. I think most, most people that stand in the shoot and watch people come through, they, they know because they're, they're, they're the loved ones of that. Nobody shows up to watch an Iron Man, right? Unless they've yeah. got a loved one that's actually yeah. in the thing. And so they know what kind of sacrifices that person made to, to get to this point. And everybody that showed up at the start line made those sacrifices, maybe not the same sacrifices, but made lots of sacrifices to to, sure. to to just to show up to play to run the race and it's never about the finish line it's about the journey to getting to the finish line and i think that's a metaphor for life and anything worth having is is on the other side of hard and and if you're not willing to do the hard thing um you you're not going to life is different right yeah when i uh it reminds me when i as i, I started i told you I, I've, I've always excelled in school school came easy uh, relatively easy for me. Um, and then when I got sober and I got my addiction license and then went to prison and now I'm a felon. So that of course pollutes my opportunity in the future. And I get out, my dad's dying on his deathbed. Um, it was the night before he was intubated because he had uh, lung issues, but he had this oxygen mask, right? And Villano we were watching Villanova. And um, the last word he said, he took his mask off and he says, you should go to Widener. And he was a professor at Widener in economics, but I was talking to him about, hey, I might want to go back to school. Um, and so the last thing he told me was the school I should go to, right? And then I didn't know it was going to be the last words, but the next day he was intubated and then the lung never came, la, la, la. Uh, and then when he died, of course, some of his estate came through to the kids. And so the money, I put myself back into school at the at 39 years old. Um, and I was dating my wife and I had the, my one kid in Florida and my dad died and I'm balancing career and being on probation. And then I'm a full-time student in a full-time career and I have kids and um, I don't know how I did it. Right. I really don't know how I did grad school at that time in my life. And it was, thank God for my loved ones to lean on when I needed them. Um, that schooling was so much more than anything I've ever done, but it was just because of like, it wasn't easy. It was, it was, the content was easy, but it was hard. It was, you know, writing papers at three o'clock in the morning and having to get up at six to go to work and your kid's sick. Like God bless, God bless, God bless any parent that does that. It's, it's amazing. But uh, I forget why we started talking about, it, but that, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the burden of the journey. Uh, so like my master's is so much more valuable than just, oh yeah, I have my master's. It's like, no, no, I, that was, that was a lot, a lot for me and for, and for my loved ones. We, we shared that, that, uh, that diploma, me and my wife. So. And that the, the diploma is not the reward. It's who you had to become to get the diploma. That's, that's the reward. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. So it, in closing, just I would love for you to offer some advice to somebody that's new in sobriety or new in recovery. And we talk mm -hmm. about what the difference between those two are, but what advice would you give somebody that's in that position that's looking to, to thrive in life like you are? I, I am, oh man, why don't I even say this? My freedom comes today 
from the lack of shame I have from the darkness of the past, right? Um, I only got well when I wanted to examine those demons. Um, and I was scared shitless. I was scared shitless that if I uncover this demon, I'm unlovable, not worthy, disgusting, any violent or any graphic label that you want to put on it. Um, I was so afraid of what women would judge. I was petrified of how men would judge me. And uh, what's cool is not only, but I have people that love me for everything that I was, everything that I am today, and they love me for who I'm planning on being too. So if you're so scared, I want to let you know it's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. And uh, hope is possible. Uh, if you guys can cling, if anyone can cling to the thought that it's possible, then I want to help you. Uh, but if you still think you can use successfully, more, dude, go, go at it. But if it gets bad and you realize that you can't stop on your own, there's people like myself that are actually put on this planet to help you. Uh, just allow us, please, I guess. That's beautiful. And thank you, John. Thank you for your time today. Thank Justin, you. Justin, I your, appreciate it. Your vulnerability, <laughs> your yeah. story had me, my jaw dropped. Up. No way. No <laughs> way. Are you serious? Um, so I, I pre appreciate your rawness, your realness, your authenticity. Like you're a, you're a, the world is, I'm so glad that you failed at your attempt to take your life because the world is a better place. Ah, thank you. With yeah. you in it. And yeah. we need, we need more people like you. You're, you're an angel for sure. I appreciate it, Justin. And Bryce, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank really, you. John. Really I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry that uh, my internet went out for whatever reason in the last like two minutes before we were going to start. And I'm texting Justin like, what the heck's going on? I got to go run to the coffee shop to get on the Wi-Fi now. <laughs> Xfinity sent me a thing saying, oh, yeah, we're sorry uh, for any inconvenience this is causing you. I'm like, what the heck? So I'm going to have Justin send over this recording because I'm yep. super curious to hear uh, the, the story that you shared for the first 20 minutes that I missed. But I really, really appreciate, um, you know, you uh, thank you. It's, it's an honor to, it's an honor to be with you guys. And if there's anything you can do. Oh, also if anyone, I don't know how this goes out or if anyone hears and somebody says, Hey, uh, please, I'll give you my cell phone, give my cell phone. Uh, actually, I'll give it. Can I give it out now? Or yeah. Yeah. Email yeah cell anyone, phone, whatever you want. Yeah. My, uh, you all, I'm always available. Six one zero nine three eight seven five eight nine. I will say if it's a 3 AM and you need help, don't hesitate to call, but if it can wait till eight, please. I do have kids. <laughs> eight, eight Eastern time. <laughs> Eastern time, yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm. This is this is awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to just to talk. Yeah, thank, thank you for so what much, you're John. doing. Yeah, if, yeah and if, you need, you, if you need anything from me, let me know. However, I can support your cause. I'm honored. Awesome, and I'd love to get your mom appreciate on here you. at some point in time when she's ready. That would be, I think that would be a cool, cool thing. I'll to hear see her in two days. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a buyer. Awesome, awesome. Thank, so, you. Right. thank you. God bless. Thank you. you. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye.